These may be challenging times, but have hope and listen to the untold health stories about incredible people who have committed their lives to better their communities. Diverse health activists, direct medical providers, community organizers that are helping our communities to get healthier and stronger. Stories of local heroes during the pandemic and even before that proves over and over again that people can come together during times of need and make the world a better place. Stories you would never hear of, except at Healthcare Untold, hosted by Barbara Ann Garcia. Uh, we want to welcome Dr. Hernandez back to Healthcare Untold. Uh, welcome to Healthcare Untold, Dr. Hernandez. Thank you, Barbara. Nice to be back with you. I know. I, hey, we, you were one of our first episodes of Healthcare Untold and COVID, and now you're kind of the 101, 102 of over 100 episodes. Uh, so we want to thank you, as always, for your time and expertise uh, for our podcast, particularly to our communities, uh, to really try to give a, a more um, up-to-date um, on you know, your perspective of where we are with COVID. Thank you again for having me back. I mean, you know, we are, we're now entering our third year uh, trying to understand uh, COVID-19 um, in, in the, you know, sort of broadest public ramifications of, of the virus itself, its mutations. Um, and as you know, um, we have very effective vaccines um, and, uh you know, our biggest challenge with vaccines right now, frankly, is that uh, we have vaccines available for young people, you know, ages five and up. And if you look at where we have gaps in vaccination, it really is in that school age group. And so um, there's really still a lot of work to do uh, to convince parents, uh, mostly, because, of course, kids can't just show up themselves for vaccines, but to convince parents that that these vaccines really, really are safe uh, and they're effective in preventing, uh, you know, acute illness with COVID and serious illness with COVID. And I think that, you know, we still have a situation where people think, well, kids don't get COVID, but that, of course, is not true. Um, and, and in fact, children can get, you know, these very serious, um, you know, multi-system inflammatory processes uh, if they're not vaccinated. And, uh, and of course, we're still learning about what long COVID is. What does it mean to have lingering symptoms after an acute episode of, of COVID-19? Uh, and, uh, you know, what kind of chronic disease might that be creating over the long haul? So we've learned a lot uh, and, uh, and we also now, of course, have therapeutics, including outpatient antivirals that we can use against COVID. And, and that's added a, a significant additional tool to our tool belt uh, in, in controlling uh, the pandemic. So I think, you know, as I think about where we are um, broadly, I would say a lot of work to do to, to finish getting young children vaccinated. Uh, the FDA is still studying uh, the vaccine in in uh, very young children. We, of course, don't have a vaccine yet for children under the age of five. A lot of parents are, of course, 
leery about being exposed themselves and, and bringing it home to very young children who aren't who don't yet have a vaccine uh, that's been authorized for emergency use in that population. So we have a ways to go both in vaccinating our very young. We have a ways to go in vaccinating, um, you know, middle school, elementary school, uh, young people. And so um, I think there's going to be a need for a big push, you know, in sports and after school programs, those kinds of things to really try to encourage uh, families to to vaccinate their children. Uh, the, the evidence is incredibly clear, again, that these vaccines work and that they're safe. Uh, and there's still myths out there, uh, which we won't promulgate, but um, I think uh, I think what we need to do is is convince people that, you know, if your child gets sick with COVID and ends up with a acute inflammatory process, that, that can be a very debilitating illness. And these vaccines are safe. Talk to so, us about inflammatory process. What does that mean for um, our So we don't, really, we don't really understand it. This is a multi-system inflammatory process where um, you get, the young people get infected with COVID and in essence, their immune system just gets on overdrive. Uh, and so it, it triggers uh, the immunity both that you want, but it also triggers immunity that you don't want. <clears throat> and so um, you can get uh, inflammation in your skin, you can get inflammation in your organs. Um, and uh, it's it's just a multi-system overload where the immune system gets a little carried away in, in trying to combat uh, COVID-19. And the problem that we have is you can't really, we, we don't have enough data to know, well, what children are going to get COVID and have a mild disease, of course, and what child's going to end up with this multi-inflammatory condition. And, 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 and the latter, you know, uh, can be quite severe and, and managing it is, is challenging because it's not like our antivirals, which will help us with the acute infection, it doesn't really uh, uh, slow down this inflammatory process. So, um, so we're still learning about that condition, why some children get that and others don't. Um, and uh, and we're still certainly learning a lot about long COVID. You know, all that said, we also know things work. Masking does still work. Uh, social distancing still does work. Uh, good hand hygiene is still super important. Um, and so I think there's those kinds of lessons that we, we need to continue to keep as tools in the situations where it's appropriate. Uh, so if you have an immune compromised person at home or somebody who has cancer or has, you know, inflammatory bowel or on, for whatever reason, some immune suppressant, you really don't want to even have a mild case of COVID in that home. And those folks, you know, when they go out, will want to social distance, they'll want to wear a mask, and of course they'll want to be uh, maximally vaccinated. Now we're also having a conversation about boosters and do you need one booster, do you need two boosters? And there, you know, the the public health messaging gets complicated because there's a lot of different scenarios. It's also true that people who have been vaccinated get COVID, have a mild condition, 
um, because of the vaccine, they have a mild response. Um, and those folks actually have very good immunity, right? They've mm-hmm. been vaccinated. They maybe even have had a booster and then they may still get an infection, but have a mild infection. And that mild infection essentially acts as a second booster. Right. So <clears throat> when we think about case rates right now, as you mentioned, hospitalizations are down, you know, mortality rates are down. Um, this is really because we've developed um, vaccines and we have a lot of immunity in the community. <clears throat> and we've had a lot of people who've had COVID uh, who have some degree of natural immunity. Um, I should say, as we've said before, if you had COVID but you haven't been vaccinated, you still need to be vaccinated. There's still value in that from uh, from an immune response point of view. To have more immunity, so, which is what the yes, goal of it that's is. that's right. Yeah, it's all about that's that. Right. That's right. Yeah. So and then the last thing I'd say is, you know, um, you know, our epidemiologic tools are better. We're now, you know, we can look at wastewater as a as a way to assess whether we're getting new variants and what those variants look like, because a lot of people, of course, get COVID by testing at home. And so, you know, trying to figure out how we're going to collect data on new variants uh, I think the, you know, the epidemiologists are working very hard to look at other tools so that we can get early warnings of new variants. There are a couple new variants that are out there that people are concerned about. Um, the, the XE variant is one that is in England right now and the UK. And, uh, you, know, you know, World Health Organization is studying that. It doesn't seem to cause serious illness. It's it's still quite contagious. Um, and I think one of the things we know about variants is they're going to continue to come. And so one of the things we need to be doing as a country is making sure that vaccines are getting into uh, lower income com- uh, countries uh, and countries in Africa and in Latin America, because to the extent that you have populations that are not immunized because they can't get access to vaccines, that's where we're going to continue to see new variants. And so I think, you know, pandemic taught us we're a global community. And yes, you have to work locally, but we are a global community. And it's not good enough just to have our neighbors and, you know, the places we take our kids to school to be vaccinated, we really need to think about getting vaccines more broadly distributed in the globe. I think, you know, you can't emphasize that more. I mean, clearly, you know, every time it happens in another part of the world, it ends up here as well and ends up everywhere. So I do think that whole, um, it's really made us, you know, as we would always talk about, you know, thinking about globally, acting locally, um, and, you know, how, how, how integrated is that these days in terms of looking at our health? Yeah, 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 that's right. Um, um, so, um, so I think, um, um, uh, and you know, we're getting ready to go into summer months. More people will be outdoors. Um, you know, we'll want to see what the fall brings, um, and uh, and of course, you know, the laboratories are working on vaccines that cover more variants, maybe even a uniform vaccine that covers all kinds of COVID. Uh, coronaviruses, uh, which COVID is one. Um, so um, I think, you know, continuing to develop uh, good treatments for people with COVID. So, you know, I, I think the the research, uh, the, the virologic laboratories, all of that is, are, you know, quite geared up still. 
um, even as we're releasing these public health emergencies that we've operated under. Well, that's a great update, Dr. Hernandez. And um, I do think that the listening audience, uh, you know, appreciates to hear that, you know, all of those um, tools that we have had, we'll have to continue with um, until at one point we have, um, you know, these variants who continue to multiply because and mutate because of the lack of uh, vaccinations around the world. So I think that's a real important message as well. And, um, you know, just keeping up with our um, our vaccines, if you haven't had them, and also masking in large groups or inside where there are a large number of people. Yeah, they're, they're, that's right. And, you know, while we're talking about masks, it's worth just saying, you know, um, as there was, a, you know, proliferation of all different kinds of masks, cloth masks and the like. And what we know about these variants now is that you really do need a N95 or a K95 mask, um, and that cloth masks really are not effective against transmission unless they're, you know, you could use a surgical mask and have a cloth mask over it. Um, and so I think, you know, not all masks are created equal. Yeah. And so that, that's just another point we, we should. Absolutely. Uh, we Thank should. you for that. Yeah. Thank you for that. Well, okay. You know, you know, we said at one point, Dr. Hernandez, that we would be able to talk about other things. Um, and so <laughs> I want to give you an opportunity uh, just to share with us some of the highlights of your work these days. Uh, at the California Healthcare Foundation. Well, thank you. You know, we're, um, it's really a, a very uh, interesting time uh, in California. Uh, the, the foundation does a tremendous amount of work around sort of promoting healthcare reform uh, with the idea of, um, in particular, making sure that folks who are in lower income communities or folks that have not always had insurance. Um, are really able to, A, get insurance. And, um, you know, the governor's budget uh, does call for uh, really making anyone in the state, regardless of immigration status, eligible uh, to enroll in, in state-only Medi-Cal. Um, that, that could be uh, the beginning of California being the first state in the country where there is essentially universal coverage available. Um, we have to get people enrolled in the program. We have to make sure that enrollment is easy, uh, that eligibility is easy. Um, so we're doing a lot of work to try to make sure that last several million people um, uh, are able to uh, take advantage of, of health insurance and health coverage. And I think coming off, you know, we've been talking about COVID, coming off of a pandemic, it was so apparently clear that if you're going to contain future epidemics or pandemics, uh, you really do need to have everybody uh, uh, in a place where they have a medical home, where they have a medical provider that can look at their uh, whole needs, whether they're mental health, whether they're behavioral health, whether they're uh, chronic disease management, or if it's just basic prevention and, and, um, and early screening, really we want to get everybody into coverage. So we're working very intently on, on trying to finish the job of coverage. And then you know, the other thing that the pandemic made uh, uh, incredibly clear is that there's still incredible inequities uh, in how our healthcare delivery system takes care of people, even if they have insurance, 
depending on on their race or their ethnicity or their language capabilities. Um, and so I think one of the things that is important now coming off this pandemic and with people's having acute attention to these disparities um, that the delivery system that serves them um, understand their language, understand their culture. And that really requires that we have a workforce that looks like and comes from communities that we are trying to serve. And so one of the other areas that the foundation's doing a tremendous amount of work is really trying to increase the workforce pipeline, uh, helping community health workers and promotores uh, to become integrated into care teams. These are people who are known in the community, they're trusted in the community, they understand the language, they understand the culture, they understand the food, and they are instrumental in uh, expanding our team-based care such that people can get the care that they need when they need it in a culturally appropriate way. So we're doing a lot of work in trying to uh, 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 make sure that promotores get fully integrated into, into care teams. And then the other thing that happened during the pandemic, of course, is we relied very heavily on telehealth and telemedicine. And uh, for a lot of the clinics and the providers that have served low-income folks, they just have not had the capacity technically uh, to deliver uh, telehealth and telemedicine. And, you know, when we sheltered in place at the very beginning of this pandemic, you know, people had to just flip a switch and really try to reach out to people by yeah, phone, yeah. Uh, by video. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and so really understanding where telehealth works well, where it doesn't, understanding users and how they see telehealth and telemedicine. The, the potential is, is quite, uh, uh, we think there's a lot of opportunity there, um, but it's also not a panacea. And you, you have to do it well, um, but, you know, areas where you don't have good access to specialists, for example, telemedicine can be incredibly helpful. Uh, if you live in a rural area and you have, you know, some serious illness and, you know, instead of having to drive two hours and, you know, park and wait for your medical appointment, you know, t telemedicine, telehealth can create significant efficiencies for people in those circumstances. So there's a lot of places where telehealth and telemedicine, we think, um, can be quite useful in improving access to care. Um, and so we're trying to help clinics and uh, doctor's offices uh, who, who don't really historically have the resource to invest, invest in those kinds of technologies uh, to be able to do that. There, there are a lot of innovations in digital health uh, that people are thinking about, and we want to make sure that uh, entrepreneurs that are uh, Latino or Latinx or Black or women who haven't historically had good access to capital, uh, that those folks get access to capital and be able to start companies uh, and you're familiar with this, startup companies that are able to create useful solutions uh, and, and making sure that they have the capital to test them and to bring them to market. That's fantastic, Dr. Hernandez. And, you know, you've said pandemic about three times with your ideas of the new kind of initiatives. And, you know, we did a, um, a disaster um, podcast on the Loma Prieta earthquake. And we talked about, you know, that post um issue that happens where a lot of things get changed and we find a lot of solutions 
because we had to, and we had to respond immediately. So it's so wonderful. Um, you know, you started your career around at the San Francisco Health Department in Universal Healthcare. It's good to see that you're still in there and making it happen in California. Now we just have to push that out. And uh, I, I'm really uh, excited about the initiatives that you talked about, you know, all so needed in our communities. Absolutely. So thank you for that update from the California Health Foundation. Any um, ending remarks, Dr. Hernandez? No, well, you know, I think you're right. Um, you know, crises uh, often create enormous disruptions, and disruptions can be incredible opportunities for new ideas and new solutions. And, I, you know, I think uh, coming off this pandemic, or at least this phase of the pandemic, really understanding what was disrupted, what did we learn, how can we redeploy and pivot uh, is really is really the exciting uh, the exciting opportunity that we have after really a, a devastating period when, you know, we didn't, you know, early in the in the uh, ep- pandemic have vaccines or, or the like. And so now there's there's such an enormous opportunity, I think, with the disruptions that occurred uh, to, to really uh, innovate and to rethink and to redesign uh, and to do it with a really incredible focus on health equity. So thank you for your leadership and for the work that you do with the uh, with Healthcare Untold, and it's always a, a real pleasure talking to you. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Sandra Hernandez from the California Health Foundation. Healthcare Untold. Healthcare Untold. Healthcare.